Welcome in to the Breathing Orange Fire podcast. This is our 10th episode, Gabe. All right. And this past week happened to be a particularly crappy one for your hometown nine. Uh, two and one against the Washington Nationals, who may be the worst team in baseball. Uh, and then and boy, should it and boy, should it have been three to nothing? It, it should have been, but it was not. Uh, and then a sweep at the hands of the Cincinnati Reds at home. Good effort, guys. Oh, and I got to see it Sunday and fa- on Father's Day. And I have some notes, Astro- Andrew. I have some notes. I bet you do. I bet you do. So we are approaching late June now. So the topic of conversation tends to shift toward, okay, what reinforcements do we need uh, to make a second half push, uh, a playoff run? As it stands now, the Astros are... 39 and 33 in third place in the American League West. You know, with the expanded playoffs, there are more playoff teams. That impacts the dynamics of, you know, who's a buyer, who's a seller, who's available, what they cost, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, The calculus on that's maybe changed a little bit, um, starting with last season when the playoffs were expanded. So I wanted to get your thoughts uh, in today's episode on um, kind of two sides of the coin. One, uh, what does it look like if the Astros do not make any major moves? And two, uh, what does it look like if if they do? And which makes more sense to you at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, I think first thing you have to determine is what team are you, right? And the Astros, I don't think, no. And here's the case for we're not a crappy team, which is getting harder and harder to make by the week. The ERA, last I look, was still first in Major League Baseball. I don't know if that's still true after the last couple of days, but if it's not first, it's very, very close to first. You got the stats, Andrew, do you know? As a team entering today, the Astros – do in fact have the lowest ERA as a team at 3.35. It's a 3.9 FIP. So um, maybe a little bit of fortune there, but uh, yeah, going into today, you are correct, Gabe, the lowest team ERA in baseball. You know, we've talked about that a lot with the analytics department. I don't know how much of that's fortune versus the Astros are just really good at turning balls in play and outs because be. we've overperformed our fit for a lot of years now. Yep. Um, I think they might have something there and it's, it's not a couple guys. It's, it's as a team. Um, I think there's only been one year since 2015 that we haven't outperformed our fit by a pretty decent little bit. Um, this year, six tenths of a run is probably higher than it has been, but um, you know, I think you can say, Hey, Maldonado called a curveball for Brown. It's his best pitch, and he called five of them last time he's playing. I wonder why he's got an ERA two runs higher with Maldonado than Brown, even though Maldonado is the greatest, bestest uh, game manager caller ever. Um, and there's surely some reason that he doesn't have Brown throw his best pitch. Why do you think that is, Andrew? <laughs> For those who did not follow, Gabe is is watching uh, as we speak the live Astros game. <laughs> Just switched over to a Maldonado rant. 
we knew it was coming. I didn't expect it this early in the episode, Gabe. Uh, but I don't know why that is. I don't know why he calls uh, Gabe. I can tell you why it is. He doesn't want to get on the ground. I, he doesn't want to get on the ground and try to block the pitches because he's old and decrepit and catches 80% of the time. It wears him out trying to catch a curveball that bounces in the dirt. You know who else it wears out trying to hit a curveball that bounces in the dirt? The batter. That's who. The batter. <laughs> All right. I'm going to limit myself to no more than three Maldonado rants. That's number one. All right. I'm going to keep score on that. That's one. Um, I, I, I got to tell you this. I am in touch on a text chain all the time with a former University of Texas pitcher that made it all the way to double A. Mm-hmm. And he told me that I'm wrong about Maldonado and just laughed. Of course, I'm also in touch with another guy on that same thing that mocks and ridicules him for that take. He's like, yes, you must hit a catcher with a 178 batting average because he's your security blanket. Clearly, that makes a lot of sense. This kind of got off track where I'm trying to make the argument that Astros might not be a totally inc- crappy team that we got to start with where we're at. Okay. Okay. On the pitching side, we got the number one ERA in baseball, at least for the rest of this night, until this night ends, after that we just give up five and three three innings right now, right? So we're rocking a 15 ERA for the game, but we're still at, you know, we're at the point in time where one bad game isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to bust you. Our ERA is somewhere around, let's say, 3.4 right now, real time. Um, what's the, where would 3.4 real time rank? Still first. Still first. Okay. So even after today, we've, we've got the best DRA in, in baseball. We're doing that with some duct tape and bailing wire, man. Yep. Um, but it is working. Let me ask you about the duct tape, because that's that's where I maybe diverge uh, from you here in the case that it's not a crappy team. So I would almost use the, um, the league-leading team ERA stat and uh, in combination with what you just said about we're keeping it together with with duct tape, uh, because I say it every week, 40% of your rotation currently is JP France and, well, it was Bialak. I guess now it's... Uh, oh, Blanco. Blanco. Blanco, yeah. Um, and, and yes, Dubin now coming up. So is it... Unfair so, for so, me to say that 40% of your rotation right now is quad A guys. Yeah, I think it is. I think I've seen enough. And I want you to break down the stats for me. I think I've seen enough from JP France to say that I think he's a league average. I think. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give, give, you, numbers. Some, give, I'm gonna give numbers. you some numbers. He has thrown <laughs> uh 47 and a third innings. Right, he has okay. a three point four two ERA. Uh, that's Fangraphs, great. Fan, it, that's very good. Fangraphs calculates an expected ERA. We talk a lot about expected WOBA for hitters and that sort of thing. His expected ERA is four point one. Uh, so there's a there's a gap. What's league there. average ERA? Uh, it's I don't know what it is for twenty twenty three right now, but on, off the top of my head, I mean, usually it's around four, right? I, I think we're in a little bit higher run environment. Can you look at a uh, ERA plus and see if we got an Astro right around a hundred plus or minus? Uh, let's see. Who's closest to a hundred on ERA plus. That's, that's a baseball reference one, right? Yeah. 
Oh, that's right. You're a fan graphs guy. I'm a fan graphs guy. That's okay. I'm a baseball reference guy. And yet we can still be friends. <laughs> I celebrate both. He's a um, WRC. He's a WRC plus kind of guy. I'm an OPS plus kind of guy. He's a fan graphs kind of guy. I'm a baseball reference kind of guy. It's just so wacky that it can work out. It, I know. This is uh you gotta go deep in the baseball nerddom. To, you gotta get go deep in the baseball nerddom to appreciate that last 30 seconds. Uh Bielak has a 96 ERA plus uh with an actual ERA okay. of 4.37. So, so he's four percent worse than the league average. So, so your right. league average ERA is 442 or something like that. Right. Yep. No, it's it okay. works the other way. I mean, he so he it, he's under a hundred. So so his ERA, yeah, he's not, he's four percent worse than the, he's four percent worse, worse than the average, right? At four point three seven. Okay. So it's let's say around four point okay. two five or four point three, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had it that he was lower than average, and then I worked average the wrong direction because right. I'm bad at the maths. No, you okay, got the math so, right. They just invert it because a, a lower ERA is better, right? So it's just so four point three. So four point three. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> it was my fault for getting Altuve was the best second baseman <laughs> in Astro history. That that was totally my fault. Yeah. All right. So four point three or so is league average. He's at three point four and he's got a four point one expected ERA. Keep going on those stats. For France, we're talking about JP yep. France. Yeah, for J- just JP France. Uh, FIP of four point nine four. That's not great, but the Astros are running as a staff six tenths of a run better, so that would put him sort of. If you do believe that the Astros are better at turning uh, batted balls and outs than than the the average run of the mill team, then that puts him again sort of right around four point three, four point four uh, league average. Yeah, and and again, FIP is going to be heavily influenced by the the strikeout to walk ratio, right? And since France does not strike out a lot of guys, uh, that ratio for him is about seven to three right now. So it's not uh, it's not a great uh, ratio, but that's that's the main driver, right? Of of FIP. Remember, when, um, remember when two to one back when we were kids, when two to one on the strikeout to walk used to be the mark of a good pitcher. Yeah. Yeah, and now we just crap all over a guy for having a seven to three strikeout to walk ratio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're not striking out a, a batter per inning, it it's a little subpar, or at least it feels that way. Uh, another um, stat, or a couple of stats for France um, to dive a little deeper. His BABIP against we've talked about this batting average on balls in play uh, usually evens out at around 300. Is currently at 246, uh, so that might tie into uh, what you've been referring to when we talk about FIP and and uh, yep. fielder positioning and 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 converting those into outs, uh, his left on base percentage is currently at eighty three percent, meaning uh, of of the batters that reach base, uh, he strands eighty three percent of them. His average in the minors, just kind of scrolling through that, was around seventy ish percent. Which I think what should that be? Do you have any do you have any idea what average in the major league level is? I think that's normally around 70%. So let's say he had 13% more of his runner score to go from below average to, or from well above average to sort of average. Um how many total base runners does he have? Give me his runs, hits, and walks, and we can reverse engineer this. His runs are 18, hits 41, 
walks 16. Okay, so 41 and 16 is 57, and he scored 18 runs? Correct. 18 earned runs, 19 total 18, runs. Okay, 19 total runs. And I'm sorry, we're at 57 last 19. Is, so that means 38 guys got left on base, right? At another 15%, that's another four runs given up. That goes from 18 to 22 over 45. Well, he's still under sorry. Four and a half, right? You have to back out his, his eight home runs he's given up, right? No, that would be. No, I guess you wouldn't. That, I guess you wouldn't back that's it. It's taken into account. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So let's give him 22 earned runs over 45 innings. That's a ERA right at four and a half. I don't have to be great at math, but a little bit under four and a half. Yep. So if he had a normal strand percentage. So, you know, in summary, after we've just done a lot of whatever, his ERA is well above average. His expected earned run is above average. His FIP's a little bit below average. And if you've normalized his strand percentage, his ERA would be right at average. Correct. Sounds like an average guy. I don't know, 45 innings. How long do we have to trust a guy on the sample to say, hey, this is maybe who he is? I would say another 50 innings or so, right? Before we really know. I mean, I'm not saying that from a statistical so perspective me, of when these stats right. normalize. I'm just saying from kind of a practical perspective. These are his first 47 innings of Major League Baseball, right? So. I don't know when we get to about a hundred innings, do sure. we know more or less who he is? You know, teams have a book on him. Uh, they, they scouted him. They can game plan for him, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff matters. Also, I think you need to look at his minor league numbers were like three in a pretty, pretty severe run environment. So that would tell you maybe that he's not, he's not a quad a guy. I think he's a legitimate major leaguer, Andrew. Have I made my case well enough for you to believe maybe that's the case and you should stop putting four a on him? No. Because I think you've made a good case, but okay. I need to see Fair. another another uh, another eight starts, which is what he's made so far. Another eight starts, I think we'll know more or less. I don't think you're wrong. I, th I think that that is what he's been so far is an average-ish yeah. major league starter, which is fine. That's not a, you know. And he's outperformed that averages, right? He looks like when you take a look at the number, when you take a look under the hood of the numbers, he looks at average. His actual performance has been better than that. Correct. Correct. Yes. I, I, I'm I'm basing and, my opinion more on the underlying metrics. Yes. And you're looking at and and some of it is we're looking at prospect pedigree, right? No one's really excited about him. No one's excited about his stuff. He's not striking out a bunch of dudes. But I I, I never considered Urquidy a four A guy, did you? No. I thought Urquidy uh you know, his superpower has been or was at least when he was coming up was limiting the walks. Right. His was his uh, was his control. Um, and, and that's kind of, I think, what what helped him to, uh, you know, achieve the numbers that he did and, and to be able to perform how he did. I'm trying to find what with France, not that everybody needs, you know, a, 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 a marquee sort of um, element to their game to be successful, but uh I would say that if you look at at Urquidy's walk numbers, he's he's pretty uh, he, he's approaching elite, you know, in terms of starting pitchers, in terms of uh, uh, limiting walks, throwing strikes, that sort of thing. Um, so maybe I'm biased because uh, you know we we all like to watch pitchers who throw strikes, um, and Urquidy does that. And France doesn't not do that, right? I mean, France <laughs> doesn't not do that. He just doesn't. 
he just doesn't do that. I mean, he's no worse than he's he's no worse than average. No, right. No, say. I'm not I'm not saying it's a it's a it's a problem with him. I'm just saying you look across the board and is there anything in particular that he does well? I pulled up his savant data, right? Um and this is what gives us his percentiles. And to your earlier question, he is 70th percentile in hard hit percentage allowed. Um, so, And 70th percentile is good there, right? It correct. Means you're better than 7 out of 10. Correct. In hard hit percentage, meaning your hard hit percentage is low. That's correct. Yep. Uh, lower than lower than average. Um, expected batting average against, he's 49th percentile. Average exit velocity, 53rd percent. So he's right right in the meaty part of the bell curve in most of these categories. Um, his fastball spin rate is nearing elite. It's 93rd percentile. So that's, uh, again, if you want to identify something he does really well, there's something with his uh, getting the spin on his fastball. That's been the you know, the, the, the deal with Javier too. Right. And, and some of those guys. So um, again, we don't the know, Astros were behind the scenes, right. We don't know what behind the scenes, what the Astros are working on with him developing. Uh, there is plenty of reason to be encouraged that he can, uh, you know, exceed whatever was expected of him as a prospect, which was not much, right. He's an older guy that uh, for, for a rookie, um, um, but yeah, that, I, I think there are things there that have have convinced me that he can be, uh, he might turn out to be, right, an average-ish uh, MLB starter. I'm just, I want to see a few more innings before I'm with you in accepting that as fact. And I'm not going to guarantee that or anything. I just, I've got a glimmer of hope that he's got some Colin McHugh to him. Colin McHugh is another guy that came up at 27 or 28 years old, not a very heralded dude. Um, and then he had three or four years as a really good starter with, with Astros. They used up his entire um, six years of um, club control and then let him move on down the road. And he had a couple good years as a middle reliever. But we extracted like every last piece of value that you could want out of Colin McHugh. And maybe Jay, maybe uh, Francis on the same pathway. Could be. Now so, to Blanco. No, he's 4A. <laughs> Belak's 4A. <laughs> I, actually, Blanco has an elite, elite slider. Um, I don't think he has even a second pitch, and you need two pitches to be a really good reliever. But his slider is so elite that you might just have him in the bullpen and tell him to throw that until his arm falls off. Sure. Because, hey, it's better to be in the majors than not be in the majors. Sure. As a bullpen arm, I, I, I can see that. Uh, I'm just, I'm not seeing it as a starter. He doesn't, no, abs- he doesn't command absolutely his pitches. Not. He's all, he's, yeah, I, they need to, to pull the plug on that experiment. His fastball is very, very, very hittable. Yep. Can I have one more very, just to be sure? Do it. Very. <laughs> very hittable. It's, it's very hittable. Um, it leads me though, to another, uh, question I have. So, so yes, we get a, let's for the sake of argument, say uh, JP France is a legit back end starter. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll accept that um, for this. And our coming back and mm. he's thrown off a mound. Mm. I don't know. Is he thrown off flat ground or a mound? I, I don't know. And I don't, 
I don't care until he's activated. <laughs> can can I go on another rant here? The getting information about Astro's health is like reading Pravda. You just <laughs> you don't believe anything that you see, and you have to like. You know, they used to call them Kremlinologists during the time yeah. of the Cold War. For you Zoomers and uh, millennials out there, there, there used to be this thing with, with before it was Russia, it was the Soviet Union. <laughs> and uh, there was this Cold War, and we were uh, sworn enemies until Rocky single-handedly won the Cold War. That's right. IV, the quintessential Cold War film of the 80s was Rocky IV. We could do an episode on that maybe in the offseason. Mm -hmm winning the cold war but but they used to call them criminologists and what they do is they read pravda which was the official state paper and then they'd like look at where people were standing in relationship to like pictures of others and they try to figure out who was where based upon just like little nuggets and tidbits not ever believing the tidbits or the nuggets or anything that was printed but just analyzing that against pictures they saw and trying to figure out like what they were doing right and that's kind of what you got to do when Astra's injuries are are taken into account, um, you know, one minute you're like, hey, he's coming off the injured list on Tuesday. And then you're like, yeah, we went ahead and shut him down for another 90 days. You know, um, Lance McCullers, I think we texted each other to say nailed it. Um, yep. <laughs> when the announcement came out, I told Andrew, I said, the announcement's going to be that he had surgery a couple of days ago. <laughs> Yep. And he goes, yep, probably so. And then sure enough, the announcement was, uh, and I told you guys two weeks ago, if you'll remember, I told you guys that Lance was going undergoing surgery um, and out for the year. Um, they hadn't published it, but that's what I'd heard, and I absolutely believed it. And sure enough, that was the case. But, yeah, I mean, how long is the surgery scheduled for? A week or ten days? And, you know, they sure. get around to telling us two days after the surgery actually happened. They They knew he was getting shut down um for at least a couple weeks okay if it made its way to where someone like me has heard it or or seen it um from someone i believe to be viable then the astros have done for longer than that so i i don't know if Orkidi's on on flat ground or if he's on a mound throwing fastballs but not breaking balls but they say he's progressing and they say mid-july okay which is a better timeline than you usually get Mid-July is really important, man. We need to know what's going on in the deadline for buyers or sellers. Yeah, and Arkady, you know, replacing the quad A starter in the rotation. And let's say, you know, France is a small step back from Garcia, who he's replacing in the rotation, but but one that you can live with, uh, which takes us uh, to another. So you're, you got a starting rotation. So you got a starting rotation that's above average, if that's all true. Probably. Let me share a concern I have in the rotation, and it's Christian Javier. Uh, the numbers look fine, right? Look good. He's a 2.9 ERA currently. Uh, great. You'll take that. His expected ERA is 4.03, and that's a little concerning. Uh, last season, he was um, elite in terms of expected ERA. He was 96th percentile. Last season, uh, he was the most unhittable guy in the major leagues, right? That's right. batting average against him. And there have been um, a lot of drops uh, in his performance so far in terms of these percentiles. Ex expected batting average against, to your point, last year, he was 98th percentile. Expected slugging 95th percentile. 
This season, those have dropped to 57th and 27th percentiles, respectively. So he's 27th percentile and expected slugging against. Um, it's It's been interesting. I don't know what to make of it yet. And, and as I said, the results are, are there still. He is, uh, the actual results are great. They are what you would expect. Um, but the underlying metrics suggest there may be some, uh, downward regression coming for Christian Javier. Um, I'm just going to give you a few more. Uh, we talked about his spin rates. Uh, his curve spin spin last season was 92nd percentile. His strikeout percentage was 94th percentile. His whiff percentage, so guys swinging and missing, 82nd percentile, right? These are all important things for uh, for a pitcher making, you know, getting guys out this season, his whiff percentage is down to a 60th percentile. His strikeout percentage is down to 55th percentile. Fastball velocity is 37th percentile. He's never a hard thrower, but his spin, his fastball spin is way down. He's he's below. He had that hop in that. He had that hop in that carry because of the high fastball spin. That's, that's right. Kind and, of disappearing. And that fastball spin is down <clears throat> around 50th percentile this season. So. I think there's something to be concerned about with Christian Javier, which sounds silly because, again, he's coming into today with a 2.9 ERA. But, you know, again, a lot of the underlying metrics suggest a drop in actual performance from last season. Are you concerned at all at this point about Christian Javier? Yes. I am, too. (laughs) I think that 2.9 ERA is unsustainable given given what we just talked about. You know who else I'm concerned about? Hunter Brown. Yeah. If I he am, doesn't if he doesn't if he doesn't get Diaz back as a catcher and he doesn't start throwing the hook 30 or 40% of the time the way Diaz was, he's not he's not that special. He has to throw his best pitches, Andrew. Just like this team has a problem with not playing its best players every day. Hunter Brown has to throw his best pitches and he's not. I agree. I, um, we've talked about it throughout several of our episodes so far. I've, I've been on the, um, of the opinion that Hunter Brown has also some downward regression coming. Um, if for no other reason, the fact that he's a rookie and has never thrown, you know, a, I, I don't remember what is his high. I think 137. Yeah, 130, something like that. He's never thrown more than 130 some odd innings. Which, in a, by in the way, season. is not bad, which, which is not bad for my minor leaguer. That's a pretty good workload, 135, 140 innings in the minors. Sure. Yeah. My only point is that he hasn't done it over what's called a full season or considered a full season for major league starter, which I know has come down in recent years. Most guys don't throw 200 innings anymore, but you know, I, I, I feel, I feel like it's a big question mark what you'd get out of him over 175 innings, right. Um, or, or, or something like that. So you would hope gave that folks in the front office would have already identified that if we're able to, and have, have, have do you think anyone that team. does anyone on the field staff listen to anyone in the front office? So the starters, even with your reservations about Hunter Brown, sure, with his stuff and all that, I don't think you look at him as any worse than middle of rotation guy, do you? I don't. I think that's what I think that's what he is. Framber's a legitimate ace, isn't he? 
Yes. Okay, so we got a legitimate ace. We got even with Javier overperforming, even if he regresses, he's middle of rotation, dude, right? Yes. So we got a legitimate ace. Three, this is at the worst. This is worst case scenario, right? We've got a legitimate ace. We got three middle of rotation dudes, and we got a guy that should be coming back that's a middle of the rotation dude. Yeah. It's not a bad, it's not a bad staff. Now they can't and, afford any more injuries <laughs> no, to, to no, any no, of those I, guys. If you have anyone else missing two months, then I think that you need to throw the talent. Yeah. Agreed. Either that, either you gotta throw the talent and sell either that or you better go get a legit starting pitcher. You got you better say this is a playoff team, dang it, but we need some reinforcements. Yeah. And when I say legit, I don't mean trading for this year's version of Jake Odorizzi. No. I don't I don't mean trading for the pitching version of Trey Mancini. You're talking about an actual difference maker. I'm talking about Strowman. I'm talking about uh the uh Cease. I'm talking about um Giolito. I'm talking about a guy of that caliber. Okay. Now, none of those guys are aces. This is not like trading for 1998 Randy Johnson no. or 2017 Justin Verlander. How do you feel about the bullpen? And maybe after watching Presley just gag mm -hmm. all over himself, um, this might not be the greatest time this last week. You know, I was at the game on, on Sunday, and I turned, to, I turned to my mom, and when Abreu came in, I go, finally, we're, we're going to see our best pitcher. Look at this guy. He's, he's one of the best arms in the league. And he struck out the side, but gave up a home run. You know, I, the guy's striking out 14 guys per nine. He's awesome. I'll ride or die with him all throughout. But we brought him in a tie game, and he gave up, he gave up the, the go-ahead run that yeah. ended up causing us to lose the game. I think I'm fine. That kind of, it's been that kind of year. It's been that kind of year. I think I'm mostly fine with the bullpen. Um, you know, we've talked about this repeatedly, that bullpen performance season to season is highly variable, right? They, and you can think of it in terms of the sample sizes. These guys are not throwing a ton of innings. Uh, therefore, you know, that's right. These guys throw 50 or 60 innings a year. Correct. And we just talked about, and we just talked about, um, we just talked a lot about JP France who, who knew this was going to be the JP France podcast. <laughs> and he's thrown 45, and we both decide we need more innings to figure out what he really is. Sure. And that's what bullpen guys do every year. Correct. That's what they do. Uh, so, you know, you expect more variance from the bullpen. I, I, I think it's still a fine bullpen. I don't know that it's dominant. I think they kind of uh, overperformed a bit last season all the way through the playoffs, and so very glad that they did, right? But – uh, I think expecting the, this collection of bullpen arms to be equally dominant in 2023 uh, was probably a little bit unrealistic, which doesn't mean they're not going to be good and that they haven't been good. It just means that it was always unlikely that they would uh, perform up to 2022 uh, levels this season because, you know, there's some luck involved there. So if this bullpen's got it going on, it's the best bullpen in the league. And if this bull, if they got a bunch of guys having careerish years, like last year, it was the best bullpen in the league. If uh, if they get a little unlucky and they got a little bad timing and bad sequencing and bad luck, it's what sixth, eighth, tenth best bullpen in the league. Yeah, 
So it's a plus. It's a strength. It's definitely playoff caliber. Sure. Starting rotations playoff caliber. As long as we don't get any more guys dinged up. I think so. So there's your there's your argument there. Um, and we talked about the Astros' best lineup last week a lot. Um, but there's a path forward to saying that you could play eight average to above average hitters when fully healthy. But will they, Gabe? <laughs> will they so play, the, play those players? That's, that's the thing. You asked me if I if we should be buyers, stand pad, or sellers. I will say this. Under no circumstances do I think we should be buyers. At any position? At any position. Okay, explain. I have no interest in, in giving away any prospect capital, taking on any salaries, to try to prop up a team that's going to be in a dogfight for the third wild card spot. I think it I think this team is good enough that we could catch lightning in a bottle and win the World Series if we got in the playoffs. Because you got three good you got three guys that can be dudes at the top of rotation and you got a bullpen that that has success of shutting people down all throughout the playoffs. So this is not to say that we can't win a World Series. This is just to say that there's no one out there that solves a problem or moves the needle for us in a way that I'm willing to give up any future value to make this team feel like I've got a really good shot in the playoffs. I'd rather just rely on catching lightning in a bottle than say I'm going to patch holes in the roster. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, it kind of reveals sort of what this calculus is, right? It Yes, there are going to be guys available that could, you know, in theory, make the team better by by patching a few holes, right? Or firming up a few spots. So here's the, here's the issue. You need that dude now that Jordan's out for the next six weeks. Jordan's going to be back healthy, and we can't get anyone now. They, they According to the press, Dana Brown's been trying to make a deal, trying to make a deal. There's only four teams out of it right now. Right. Oakland, Kansas City, and Kansas City's not selling on Sal- Salvi Perez. The Rockies, who are the worst-run organization, you can't put – the Rockies didn't make a single – trade at the deadline last year They're they were so terrible weird. they were out of it and they didn't make a single trade so you're gonna rely on them to have their stuff together to, to make a deal eight weeks before the deadline mm-hmm. never gonna happen there so you got no one like right now you might be able to patch a hole in the roster and get in an average bat for Jordan so that we can fire jolks into the face of the sun but oh wait we have average bats that we choose to sit on the bench in Chaz right. or Jake Myers Every week, every week. So it doesn't matter. You're not going to make this right now. And this team goes as far as Jordan and Tucker and Bregman and Altuve and other guys. You know, Altuve's had four or five days off in the last eleven. I and yet he was out. And he was out Sunday after going four for four on Saturday. Manager's decision. It, it was a really hard decision sense. that Dusty told us. A hard decision. It why is it a hard decision? How why? Why is that hard? Why is it hard to pencil in your best players into the lineup when your best hitter is on the injured list? Why why is that hard? Especially we've got two days off in the next eight, man. Why is it hard? It doesn't make any sense, Gabe. There is no rationale that would pass the muster on this. There's no, there's nothing the man can say to make that make sense. Why? So here's my thought process. We get Urquidy back. We get Jordan back. And we get Brantley back. 
and this team doesn't have any holes on it. Where's the hole? The hole is when Dusty plays uh, Mauricio Dubon because Altuve needs a day off every three games. And and when he plays Jolks instead of Chaz McCormick, who Gabe is Chaz McCormick, the most underappreciated Astros player uh, that you can remember that all he's ever done is been a a 12 to 20% above league average offensive player who could play a very good defensive center field He's been an above-average hitter each of every season that he has been in the major leagues. He's currently coming into today, has a 120 WRC+, plus, 20% above league average. We're talking about a borderline all-star player that Dusty rotates at random with Corey Jolks. It doesn't make any sense. Why can't we just put Chaz McCormick in center field every single day? It's easy. Why do we make this harder than it needs to be? I know even if Brantley comes back, you even have an answer at first base. Brantley's been playing first base when he was down in the minors. You could platoon Brantley. Now, Brantley should never hit against the left-hander. He should never start against the left-hander. And, uh, you know, Abreu has actually been less terrible against lefties than righties. You got... Diaz at catcher, and by the way, a little tangent on this. You know, I love Diaz. I'm falling in love with him more every day. <laughs> on Sunday, on Sunday, he was three for five, and every ball he hit was hard. The guy just hits barrels. You know, the guy has the same barrel percentage as Jordan. Yeah, he's been smoking the ball. Yes, he just needs to get a little bit more launch angle, and he'll hit 30 home runs. But he hits the ball so hard, he hits it through the infield. I I, I love the guy. So everyone gets healthy. Diaz at catcher, uh, Abreu and um, and Brantley on a strict platoon at first. Altuve, Pena, Bregman, Jordan at DH, and then Tucker, Fiaz, and uh, Myers. And you do not have a single below average player there, and you don't even have any bad defensive players except for maybe first base, which is the least important defensive position. Tell me why that lineup wouldn't work. If everyone gets healthy, tell me where you're going to upgrade. Tell me why you would even bother trying to trade somewhere to upgrade that lineup. You wouldn't. And I, and I a hundred percent agree with you. And, I don't and that's think... my argument for not being a buyer. And you know what, if Jordan's not back and um, Bregman isn't playing any better and Altuve is playing two of every two out of every three days, then no one you can buy will make a difference on the other end that either everyone's back and healthy and you can't make the lineup any better or they're not back and healthy, and why bother trying? That's my argument against being a buyer. You want my rationale? There it is. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I 100% agree. That is my rationale as well. What you really need to compare is the added value of whomever you could acquire uh, in terms of how much it improves at a given spot. And I think what you just covered, let's just say with the lineup, Assuming that these guys uh, do regain health and perform as we expect that that they should, right? I don't see any place where you could reasonably make a strong upgrade, uh, given the f- relatively few teams that that we know will be sellers right now, um, and the prospect capital that you're willing to give up. I mean, we don't have a lot of high end 
prospects right now, I don't think it's in the best interest of the future of the organization to start tapping into uh, into the prospects we do have uh, to make you know slight upgrades in a few given spots. I'm 100% with you. I don't think it makes any sense uh, to make any kind of major move uh, for this club as it stands or as it looks today. So that's not what I said, Andrew. I didn't say let's not make any major move. I said oh. let's not make any buy. Oh. I've got a major move for you. Okay, I was still talking buy, but but now you have me intrigued. So continue. I've got a major move for you. Let's hear it. Let's say Jordan and Brantley and Urquidy are not back mm-hmm. at the deadline. You don't feel like you can be trustworthy. I think we I know where you're going, and I like it. That this team doesn't doesn't do anything what happens in economics when there's a ton of buyers and there's not any sellers what happens to price it goes up who do we have that we're not going to give a 10-year 300 million dollar contract to and an extension kyle tucker who's got three playoff runs left in him and is probably the best player that would go on the market since juan soto kyle tucker i like it where is the Astros' biggest position of strength in the farm? Got to be outfield. Where do the Astros have more good outfielders than they need if Dusty would just bother to play them? Mm, I still don't think we have three good if outfielders. If Jordan was healthy. If Jordan was healthy. If Jordan was healthy. I want Jordan to be the full-time designated hitter, but that's a that's a other conversation. That's fair. Jordan wants, to, Jordan wants to play a lot of left field. And I, know. I know. Okay with Jordan right. doing what Jordan wants to do. Jordan, Chaz, Jake are fine. And, you know, Chaz is good. And Drew, Jake is and Drew, fine. And Drew Gilbert's a coming. He's coming. Uh, the other college kid they picked last summer in the second Melton round. is having a very nice yeah. spring right now. This is all to say that we've got three guys that can play outfield at at least the major league average level that are not named Kyle Tucker on the big league team. Well, and I'll and add then on we've to got, that. I'll add on to that. Of the 10 uh, top, let's just say top 10-ish uh, position player prospects in the Astros system, uh, nine of them play in the outfield. If ever there was a time to trade a Kyle Tucker, it would be – now, here's the first thing I would do. I would tell Kyle – I'd say, Kyle, we love you. We want to have you around. We want you to be an Astro for life. Here's the 10-year, $300 million contract. Yeah, please, you make please, the offer. Please sign on the dollar. Make the line. offer, yep. And if he says no, the next thing I do is I send 29 DMs out to the different general managers around Major League Baseball and say, we're having an auction for Kyle Tucker. Yep. Send us your best bet bid. Yep. yep. What do you think Kyle Tucker's worth? In a deadline where he's by far the best player and no one else is selling. And he's got two more years after this season? So three years. So this is kind of interesting that we saw. Teams are valuing guys with the expanded playoff at the trade deadline as a full year. Mm. Because they're saying we're going to make the playoffs. So we have them for three years. They don't say two and a half. We have them for three playoffs. Okay. So three years. He also doesn't make much money, right? Soto was already at $28 million or something on his arbitration where he knew that. Tucker, you got to pay him half of $5 million, and then he's going to go $10 million and $15 million. I mean, you're, you're in for him for three playoff runs at something like 
22 and a half million total with the way arbitration works. Gabe, give me a scenario. So it's, let's say it's, uh, we fast forward a month, okay? And it's July 19th. And, and the boys are not back. And the boys are not back. We, well, we hear Urquidy's throwing off flat ground still. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me the, tell me, describe the circumstances under which you start sending those DMs out to the, to every general manager in baseball, uh, advertising Kyle Tucker's availability. What's what, what is the state of the Astros on July 19th for that to, to be, to be happening? We're playing 500 ish baseball to 550 ish baseball. And uh, Jordan has a setback. Brantley's not up. And, uh, you know, our guys that we think are a little bit duct tape and bailing wire start to regress. Okay. And I just say, you know what? This is not the year. And you know what? Losing Kyle Tucker for the next two years, while not optimal, is not the biggest deal in the world because we can plug in an outfield of Drew Gilbert, Chaz, and Jake. And that'll be the best defensive outfield in baseball. All those guys should be above average league, above league average. And we got Jordan at DH, and we let him play a little bit uh, when we want to. And guess what? We've got $50 million to spend next year Yep. if we want to. Yeah. I'd also sell Stanek. I don't think you're going to get a lot for this. You know who else I would sell? I'd sell Montero. You, how could you get anyone to take on Montero with that? With that contract, I think that you've got enough going on that if you bundled him with a low level prospect, maybe not low level, but someone that's like 15th to 20th in the organization, that someone will take a reclamation flyer on him and get the prospect cat uh, and get the prospect capital. Maybe you do something like this. You trade Kyle Tucker for, and I'm not talking about giving away a Kyle Tucker. No, I need a top. Tw- I need a top twenty prospect. I need a top fifty prospect, and I need a couple other guys in the organizational eight to fifteen depth. Okay, yeah. and then I take those couple guys maybe and put them with Montero and move on from that. I think if you took Montero and traded another couple prospects with them, that you'd be okay. I would trade. Uh, Stanek, I think you could get something for him. Not something good, but I think you could get a scratch-off lottery ticket. Yep. Um, and uh, Neris is around for next year, so I don't do anything with him. Yeah. And so then next year, that tells me that my bullpen is going to be, my three leverage guys are going to be Neris, Abreu, and Presley. Are you okay with that? Yep. And then you've got fifty million to spend if you get out of Tucker's contract. Not get out of Tucker's contract. I mean, you want Tucker's contract, right? But if you get out of Montero's contract, and you got Tucker coming off the payroll, um, and and Stanek, you're out of his contract now, and you know the twenty five million you decided not to spend. You can always bolster the bullpen in the off season, right? That's that that's, that's always right. available. Let me give you let me give you a stat to to kind of paint this picture of what we're talking about with Kyle Tucker because you made the comment that it would be less than ideal to not have Tucker over the next two seasons, but right. it's not um, some overwhelming deficit that we create. Kyle Tucker last season, twenty twenty two, had six hundred and nine plate appearances. Okay, that's in one hundred and fifty okay. games. Up six hundred and nine plate appearances. He had. Uh, according to Fangraphs, 4.8 wins above replacement. Gabe, 
Over his career, would you care to take a guess at how many wins above replacement Chaz McCormick has per 600 plate appearances? So in other words, four, four and a half. It's three and a half. So and we're, a half. we're talking about not insignificant, you know, three and a half to 4.8. Uh, if you want to say that that's about what Kyle Tucker is. And over the last couple of seasons, that's about where he's been. He's at a, not quite at that pace this year, but I don't. Uh, really doubt that he will pick it up and uh, the numbers will be there by the end of the season. Uh, but again, to my earlier point about Chaz McCormick being just strangely, inexplicably kind of overlooked uh, and discarded by by so many, three and a half wins above replacement per 600 plate appearances. That's, again, knocking on the door of all-star caliber. That's, that's the drop-off that we're talking about is a one-win uh, a one win drop at considerably less salary, right? So the value is there. And then you can apply that saved money to your point um, to other areas of the roster. So if you got a, if you got a top infield prospect and you got a top pitching prospect to add into our system, then this is what next year looks like. Maldonado has gone, by the way. Um, I would think he's <laughs> up. So you've got, and, and Dusty's gone. At the end of this year, there's no way Dusty comes back. Man, I I, I, I don't believe it. I so he, here's what you're looking at next year, roster wise. Okay, you with me? Yep. If you did a Tucker trade, Diaz and Lee, you're at least average at catcher there, right? Mm-hmm. Abreu at first, um, if you decide. But you know what? If you moved all those guys out, then you could then you could more afford him as a sunk cost, just getting rid of him. But let's just say Abreu gets a look for the first month of the season at first, maybe. Mm-hmm. You got Altuve, Pena, Bregman, and then you got Alvarez at DH, and you got Chaz, Gilbert, and Myers, and maybe Leon if he's coming. You got Durden, maybe. I mean, here's the thing. You will cobble together with nine of your top ten prospects being outfielders and a lot of them ready. You will cobble together a decent outfield. Yes. You got a very good infield and catchers. And then your pitching staff. If uh, France is really a, if France is really a, a middle of the rotation guy or worse, or or so, then you've got you know him at four or Keedy at five, Garcia at five and a half, and Lance at six and a half, who should both be back after their surgeries at some point in time next year. That's a pretty daggum good roster, especially when if you got fifty million to spend, and if you landed. Uh, two top 50 prospects. So th- that's not a rebuild, man. That's not selling and stripping it down. That's making a pivot. You're saying, this is the year from hell. We can't extend Tucker. We're better off to reset for the next six years than to play two more seasons with Tucker. I agree. I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, losing the the top four draft picks, right, from, from 2020 and 2021, uh, you know, you're you're sort of addressing that with this kind of a trade, not that specifically, but just the effect that losing those yep. kind of high end draft picks have on your organization overall. Uh, yeah, it, I think it makes sense at some point um, if if you're still scuffling. To your point, if the injured guys are experiencing setbacks or you know just not able to come back in and uh, you know and do their thing. I think that makes sense. I don't know. Um, 
I don't think that Kyle Tucker represents a, a meaningful difference based on all of what you've described uh, over the next couple of years that differentiates this team from being a World Series contender or not, right? Um, it's going to depend on a lot of spots. And I think that the one kind of strength of the farm system, like you said, is in the outfield. And uh, and to your point, there should be money, right? There should be money to spend. Uh, if you can't expend Tucker, you know, this isn't, this isn't, um, we, we would have never had this conversation with George Springer or with Carlos Correa, right? Because those teams uh, were dominant. This team has not shown me anything in 2023 that makes me think that it's just going to flip some kind of switch and become dom dominant. The, the, that doesn't mean I don't think that they can be better than they've been and make and again we've talked about this a million times once you're in the playoffs each of those you know short series is basically a coin flip and so the hottest team wins right that's that's generally how it goes and uh, that could be that hottest team could be the Astros we could we could sell Tucker we could limp into the playoffs in the third wild card spot and if all our guys are healthy and performing at peak performance we could win the World Series sure Jordan and Altuve and Bregman could get hot and carry the team. Abreu could chip in. They could find a place to play Diaz. Pena could go back to uh, ALCS and World Series MVP form. God forbid we try hitting him in the two spot, which I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud. But we've got like an 80-game sample or like 79-1 and one with him hitting number two or something. I, that's all slightly hyperbole, hyperbole, but this year again, he's been really good in the two spot this year, and he's yeah. hit there seven times. Yeah, I don't yeah. understand that. I, um, I, I I don't understand that. I, I'm with you. I as much as I like Tucker, I, I tend to agree that, that, that I, it's a different situation than the previous guys that came through the system. Um, if, if and I'm he's, not trying to. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, I'm not trying to get rid of Tucker. I would. No. The first thing I do is offer him ten for three hundred. Because yeah. guess what happens if he signs 10 for 300? You say, hey, all these guys that we just talked about in our top 10 prospects, you can use those to consolidate for a, a middle-of-the-rotation pitcher and a couple infield prospects, right? It's about rebalancing the organization. Yeah. And right now, if you, if you continue on this death of by a 1,000 cuts talent drain that this organization has had by letting their high-end players leave and getting – pick number 78 for it, then you will run out of, you know, we're, we're running out of Jeff Luno's guys. Yep. And, you know, that that's sort of the end of it. So if Tucker takes the extension, you say, hey, we've got this nailed down and we can turn our other prospects in, in the prospects that would help us better because we just ne we know, now know between Tucker and Alvarez and Chaz and Jake that we've got three or four more years of at least four major league baseball caliber outfielders that by the way, still only cost you know, $60 million, which is not too much money to spend on an outfield. Not if you got two, not if you got two uh, all-stars and an above average guy and, and, and a great Jake Myers is a great fourth outfielder, man. Yeah. The guy plays a really good center field, which means he's plus plus and left or right. And at 90 or a hundred OPS with that kind of glove as a fourth outfielder, you're talking about the best fourth outfielder in baseball. Yeah. I, 
about what we had with Marisnik a few years back, right? Except probably a little bit better hitter, maybe not quite a little power, bit better hitter, but yes. you know, but we also played Marisnik properly in that he was in the starting lineup about once a week. Um, and he came in as a defensive replacement, yep. Uh, when we were winning games, you yep. know, and and to that point, he had 100 plate appearances and he had two war one year, yeah, he was a good player. And I, I agree, Myers is a great uh, fourth outfield option. So, Gabe, I think he's okay. As I think he's okay as your regular if he's played by people with good bats in 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 left field and and right field. I'm fine with him there, but we're better as him with a, you know, if Jordan wants to play half the games, then that means uh, that means Jake 2.0 plays half the games, and then Chaz and. Um, you know, actually, Jake point, 2.0 plays 60% of the games, right? Because he spells your left fielder and, and your right fielder. Yeah. Cool. You know, no no problem there. And then that that doesn't even talk about So then you can trade Gilbert if you want. I wouldn't recommend trading Gilbert. But if we sign Kyle Tucker for 10 for 300, then I either trade Gilbert or both Chaz and Jake, whoever I think I could extract the most value out of. To rebalance somewhere else because I'm fine there. You know, I, I'm I'm now fine in the outfield and I'm fine for a lot of years. So either way, extend him or flip him, but do something with him instead of death by a thousand paper cuts. And you know, there's no shame in saying this team has played to the ALCS or the World Series six years in a row. We're beat up, we're tired, things didn't go our way. We can do a reset and get ready for a great 2024. If we did that, I'm still a season ticket holder in 2024. I'm not mad at them. I'm not saying whatever. We're going to draw 300 million fans. You can sell it. You can get them all excited about the prospect hype. You can splash some of that money around in the offseason, and there's still going to be 3 million people buying $24 cocktails and wearing $120 jerseys and everything's going to be fine, and we're going to have a roster that is the envy of the league in 2024 if we did that. That's right. And I think the thing here is, right, the, the era of, and Tucker kind of represents this, the, the last of that era, the Luno era, right, the original rebuild, where we were picking in the top three or four picks every single season and, and hitting at a really impressive rate with the guys that, that were selected. Right. There was always going to be a time when we, when the roster reset was going to be needed, not only because of the lost draft picks in 20 and 21, but even before that, when we started picking at the end of every round, right. You're not getting the high end, um, uh, tooled up guys you know that that you were getting you know obviously at the at the top um so there was always going to be a situation where an evolution of the roster was going to be needed right and there was going to be a transition period i think what you're saying is there's still a way to do that that does not involve a teardown right it it doesn't necessarily right. need to be what you would call a teardown or a rebuild or anything like that i think there's enough there, as you've described, to kind of rebuild on the fly or reset um, on on the fly while remaining competitive. This season is feeling like, uh, as you said, you know, lots of bad luck with the injuries. Um, just can't really find a groove. It's going to happen at some point, right? Uh, 
no team goes to the league championship series every season forever. Like that is not going to happen. So, so maybe this is the time. And I think that's what uh, makes this idea of offering Tucker an extension. And if he turns it down, then exploring trade options. Um, So that's a good conversation. Gabe, what do you think is going to happen? Give me your uh, prognostication for the approaching kind of mid-season uh, uh, as the trade deadline approaches. What's your expectation of the next month or so? We're we're going to trade two 10 to 20 organizational type prospects or three 10 to 20 organizational type prospects for the for a pitching version of Trey Mancini and a hitting version of Trey Mancini. We're going to continue to tread water and win 87 games. Maybe that's enough to get into the playoffs. Maybe it's not, depending on... Maybe we win ninety or ninety-one games. Damn it, Andrew! You're down to my. Away, you've come. I've pulled you down. I've pulled you down to my eighty-five to ninety win prediction. It took ten weeks, but Gabe, here we are, eighty-seven. I mean, without this, uh, look. Here's the thing: this last terrible, horrible, very good, no bad, no good, very bad week <laughs> has has taken us from a ninety-eight win pace to an eighty-eight win pace, and as we speak. There's one out in the seventh inning, and Max Scherzer, of the four-something ERA this year, of the maybe washed-up ERA this year, has given up, has thrown 66 pitches. <laughs> and we got, like, one freaking hit, maybe two. So we're looking this at team is dead. This probably. team is absolutely, like, this team is playing. Like, Hunter Brown's given up six runs in six innings, and, and Scherzer's not even throwing a pitch an inning. This team is totally and completely lifeless. Just as I say that, Diaz hit a home run. I told you I'm falling more in love with him every day, right? It's going to be wonderful watching this love affair blossom throughout the season. I, Yeah, he needs to play. I'm with you. Um, I think this is a – I'm not budging. I think this is an 85 to 90 win team when it's all said and done. I, I keep saying I just don't see anything that makes me The way me we're think. playing right now, we're playing like a 68 win team right now. Yeah. Yeah, but they'll. I don't mean know. for the totality of the year. I mean the last ten. The 20, last week. I mean the last yeah. ten. No, it goes back further than that, man. Remember when we just crapped the bed in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. I do. And then, I mean, like, when was that? That was the. That was. That was in May, right? I mean, two, we've been going back. The two sweeps May. of the A's have really been like, and I guess we swept the Cubs. Uh, other, <laughs> that's a nine and zero stretch. Everything else has been pretty terrible. Um, uh, for the last several weeks. So, uh, Jordan, though, Jordan did, Jordan did activity on the field. No, I saw that he stretched and ran around a little bit. That's, that's exciting. (laughs) It's like Pravda, man. But I mean, so that's what, that's what we're hanging our hopes on. Right. I mean, is Jordan's doing activity on the field or Kitty's throwing off flat ground, maybe. Maybe off a mound with and Brantley's maybe he's hitting off a tee. So encouraging. It's, it's fantastic. All right. Uh, I hate everything, man. I hate everything. Oh, I hate by the everything way, too. Gilbert hurt Gilbert hurt his elbow and he's like five for his last 50. <laughs> so even in the minors, uh the injury bug has struck the Astros best prospect. Good. That's great. That's yeah. This season sucks, Gabe. It really I hate everything. It feels too. a lot like and the Rangers are and the Rangers are, are doing 
better than you would expect in a lot of ways, right? I mean, this feels like 2016 all over again. Mm-hmm. The last year the Astros, the only year between 2015 and 2023 that the Astros didn't make the playoffs. It feels like 2016 all over again. Instead of chasing at the deadline, which is what I think we're going to do, I think we're going to chase in a really half-assed way so that we can tell our fans we tried and then maybe do just enough bats to hope and pray that we catch fire in October, which, again, could happen. If we show up in the playoffs in October and everyone's healthy, I will absolutely say we could win any series. We could beat sure. anyone. Sure. Of course they can. But, but yeah, I hope they adequately weigh the odds of that uh, against what um, – what if anything they decide to spend at the deadline but um we'll see i don't I'm, think there's any way i don't think there's any way they do that I, as much as i will as much as i would love to see that happen as much as i would love to see them seriously consider that that is you know who does that milwaukee does that you know milwaukee did that trading hater um and and uh who else has done oh baltimore did that last year baltimore traded they sold they were in a position where they could have chased it and Buster only threw a shit fit. And just like he does with whenever the Astros decide to, to, to cross the street, you know, and wailing and gnashing of teeth and look at Baltimore. Now they look like a friggin' juggernaut, man. Yeah. They look like, they look like they were where the Astros were in 2017, 2015. They're, they're somewhere in between 2015 and 2017 Astros. They got the future is ridiculously bright. And who went there? That's Astros castoffs, man. Yep. That's Astros castoffs running that from the Luna tree. And instead, we fired the man. We brought in Dusty Baker. We brought in Click. I'm okay with Dana Brown, but damn it, we could have we could have had those guys. We could have had the Milwaukee guy who built a little miniature dynasty for how bereft of resources is in Milwaukee. And the other guy goes to Baltimore and turns it around. And then we lose a guy. To the Giants, and now they're uh, they went from seventy eight wins to in the playoffs right now. If the season were to end today, Andrew, I'm mad as hell about this, man. I, I, the more I talk, the more I'm going to get round up. We're going to get into a real rant. We lost four people from maybe the greatest front office ever, and we retained none of them. And now we're running out the string, and no one has the courage or their co- convictions to do the right thing. I'm right there with you. I've been. I've been and it's self-inflicted. It's, it's self-inflicted. self-inflicted. That's what's so aggravating about the whole thing. Starting because... with yeah, as soon as the World Series ended last year, it's all been just self-inflicted, dumb, just stupid moves. Just I, I, I I'm not going to go back into you know Crane pretending to be GM, but I mean, did he take that process seriously at all? Did he have a plan for getting rid of Click and? Just deciding, oh, what the hell? We'll we'll sign Abreu and we'll sign Montero and you know these ridiculous. We'll sign Brantley, who's not even you know healthy, and all the way to down to Dusty. I mean, making these decisions, these lineups. They're oh my god! Like it's I'm numb to it. I think I told you the other day. I'm numb to it, Gabe. I I can't even. I'm past the point of getting upset when I see that. We run out lineups most days that do not even come close to optimizing let's Corey our chances Jokes to win. Let's, let's bet Corey Jokes in the leadoff. So here's the Gray Kessinger played that... first base game. Got a, a minor league shortstop played first started at first base. 
So here's why? The, why? Here's the, here's the thing I can say. I've done this before in my real life. Okay, I, I sell mortgages. If you need a mortgage, go ahead and call me up. 832-557-1095. Seriously, call me up. 832-557-1095. I was the top I was the top producer. I was top 1%. In 2020 and 2021, things were going really well for me. Yeah. I was earning out President's Club trips to to Cabo, all expenses paid. You know, the the money I was stacking that stacking that paper as the kids would say. Do they still say that? I, I don't mean, know. You're asking the wrong guy what the kids I, say. I don't know. So so I was stacking that paper as the kids would say. I knew it was going to come to an end. I knew there were some things I needed to do. I didn't do them, man. I didn't do them. Why not? Because I've been kicking ass and taking names. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard to make a seat show, to, to have the courage of your convictions, to follow through with what you did to make you succeed when you start to start to lose the plot a little bit. Okay? I... A couple things happened. I said, I, I got I to gotta do something. I moved on. I left some people behind when I moved on. I partnered with some new people. I rededicated myself. And then I ended up back in the top 1% of what I do again. Because I'm not an idiot. Do you, think Jim, do you think Jim Crane's an idiot? I don't think he's an idiot. I, no. don't, I don't either. I think he's a smart dude. I, do, you think Dana, do you think Dana Brown's a smart dude? I guess I'd probably so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yes, I don't think it's really I, hard. It's really hard to make changes when everything's going well. Well, what you're describing is what I hope happens is that crane recognizes this and course corrects. It's not too late. It's just, uh, not, we still have so many good things going. We still have a lot organizationally. of organizationally. Right. We yeah, just need to we just need to do the right thing with them. And, and if we squander assets this year and then you know Bregman leaves for nothing and then Tucker leaves in two years, th this this organization will be done and looking at a major rebuild in 2026. And you'll be like, hey, what can we get for selling Yordan? What can we get for selling Hunter Brown? Um, what can we get for selling Javier? And it'll break my heart. Yes. And what I need to see. Let's say after this season, because it's not happening this year, but we need the front office. And by, the, by that, I mean our analytics department to have a little bit more, in, you know, say in the day-to-day -day lineup construction, um, general strategy. I mean, yes, that's what, that, that's essentially what I'm describing. We need, uh, we need reason to rule the day again, like it once did. Um, Guys like playing for him. No one hated yeah. playing for him, and no. he was and he was mathematically literate. <laughs> That's what you need. And you know what? That dude is not that rare in modern baseball. No, I I've never really thought much about managers in baseball because I don't think that they generally have that much impact. Uh, because you're on assuming you know what you're doing. You're assuming competency. It's hard it's to common sense. It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to manage a, a team of of junk to some some great thing without luck getting in the way. But you know what? It's not hard to do. It's not hard to take make a team worse by making awful 
suboptimal decisions over and over and over again. That's right. And that's what we are doing this year. And it's, oh, Gabe, it's, uh, it's made me numb. I'm numb. So we got the Mets. We get Verlander tomorrow. What do you think the odds uh, that he's going to shove it? Oh, on pretty, our? pretty high. I, I expect the Astros to get swept by the Mets. And then uh, who do we have after the Mets? After the Mets, Gabe, we have the following uh, stretch of games all on the road. Three at the Dodgers, three at the Cardinals, three at the Rangers. I'm sorry, oh, good four at the Rangers. Oh, good Lord. So by that'll next take us Sunday, to the 4th of July. That'll take by us next Sunday on the 4th of July when we get the Rockies, I know because I'm going to that game, we can be ready to put a bullet in our heads. Yeah, exactly. Um, it might be over at that point for all intents and purposes, and we can continue this discussion about trading Kyle Tucker and not trading for spare parts that are not going to do anything to help us uh, reach the post. That, that Dusty might not even bother to play. <laughs> that's for reasons. That, that's right. That's right. For that's reasons. Right. Uh, all right, Gabe. I think that's all I've got for today. You've put me uh, in a bad mood, um, which is not hard to do these days, but uh, enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, uh, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Two and four this week. One and five. Oh, you always manage to be more pessimistic than me. <laughs> it's my role. It's my role, and I'm good at it. What can I say? Uh, well, sorry for the uh, sorry for the rant. Sorry, but hey, man, look, we're fans, and I, if you're still listening to us, you're obviously a fan too. We love the Astros. We're doing this as a labor of love. We're not making any money by doing it. We're hoping to make your life a little better. And we're hoping to make sense of what we do. And, and this is our therapy session, man. We just had to talk through this because it's been very, very rotten the last 10 days. It has been rotten. But you never know, Gabe. Listen to that. That's that's the optimism I will allow for this evening. You never know. It's baseball, man. It's baseball. baseball. It's a you weird, never know. it's a weird thing. So, all right, sir, we will do it again next week. All right. Until then.